2: We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
3: Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell.
4: Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Derek B. Wells is the senior minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. You can um, watch the live stream of Christ Universal Temple service every Sunday morning at ten thirty A.M. to twelve noon Central Standard Time. You can Worship with us and, and have a good old time. I think you'll like it. And you can obviously come and join us if, if you're ever in the Chicagoland area. Definitely stop by. You know, take full advantage of the classes and workshops and different ministries that we do have at Christ Universal Temple, or as we like to say, CUT. Today, we're in the midst of a, a series, an ongoing series. Titled Discover the Power Within You, which is based upon the book of the same name written by Eric Butterworth. I'm teaching the book chapter by chapter. And for those who are following along with this series, uh, my request is that you actually get the book. Now, I'm on chapter 12 right now, but even if you're listening to this show, um, you know, maybe months later, Make sure you get the book and follow along because what it'll do is it'll allow you to really evolve, think, contemplate, reflect, et cetera, et cetera, on the things that I'm saying. And it'll give you a deeper understanding because you'll have a full context. Because, again, I can't teach a full book, literally a book like this, even if I was teaching it in a class setting with people and interactions, and et cetera, et cetera. You um, would only be uh, touched at a surface level. You have to do the inner work. You have to do your own reading. You have to do your own prayer work around what you're reading. I probably literally could teach a book like this for a whole year easily just to teach it properly, in my opinion, of what properly means. Now, we're on chapter 12, how God forgives. And this is a really, really powerful chapter because it goes right in on some things that are taught traditionally in Christianity as far as forgiveness and how God forgives and etc. Now, one of the things that I want to say before I actually uh start teaching this chapter is what the things that I will say in this episode are not direct attacks on any brand of Christianity or religion. I'm interpreting what he is teaching in the book in light of the theology of new thought. So in other words, I'm not going in on anybody. But I will point out um, how we teach it versus how others teach it. And this is important <clears throat> not to make them wrong, us right, or vice versa. But just coming from the space that maybe we need to look at what we're teaching people, what we believe and how it affects what we do. Because if we really understood how the mind works, what's going on in the soul, maybe we can release some of these things that have been binding us. And one of the things that bind us consistently is our thought process around God and forgiveness. So, Jesus, in the book, on page 147, uh, Eric Butterworth starts off the book by saying, the forgiveness of sin has always been a central factor in religion. It was a keynote of Jesus' teaching. But what do we mean by sin? All right, then he goes to the next paragraph. The dictionary might define the word transgression of divine law. In Christian theology, there's a general agreement that sin occurs when man is out of harmony with the source of his being. The sin is a sense of separation from God. We use the word sense of separation by choice for the separation is only in man's thoughts. So when we start when we use the, the the term a sense of separation, we're saying that that we can never be separated from God. There's nothing we can do that can separate us from God, that can separate us from the love of God, that can separate us because we are individualized expressions of God. We're the image and likeness of God. Therefore, it's impossible to separate us from God because that would be like separating water from wet. You know, that's sort of like separating glass from the glass jar. God is the substance and the essence of who we are. Therefore, it is important to know that we have to look at ourselves as the very self-expression of God. Therefore, when we are, quote unquote, sinning, sinning is missing the mark. It is a mistake. It is error. It is a thought, a belief, a concept, a uh, uh, acting out of something that is not in alignment with the truth of who and what we are. But what you do does not change who you are. What you do can only change change what you experience let me repeat that what you do does not change who you are it only changes your experience so it doesn't make a difference what you do in god you're still the image and likeness of god but what you do what you think what you feel what you believe what you say how you act and react can determine your life experiences, which is a whole nother conversation. Hopefully that comes across. All right. So at the bottom of the page. Uh, he says, when man does not know his divinity. When he does not know the depth of his own innate goodness. He does a lot of things that are a result of the frustration of his potentiality. He thinks that he lives in an isolated life. His thoughts are completely self-regarding. His entire experience is oriented to a selfish plane of life. The result is what has been called evil, evil people doing evil deeds. So Mr. Butterworth says the word evil also needs redefinition. Evil is basically the concealment of good. The metaphysical student often declares there is no evil. This is about like saying there is no darkness. Of course, there is evil in the world. And I will stop and say in existence, yes. And there are many people expressing evil ways. However, as darkness is the absence of light, so evil is the absence of good. Now, uh, then, it's to skip a couple of lines, he says evil is not inherent in the human nature. Human nature is but a degree of consciousness, of divine nature. When we see Conditions of evil in the world, they have no permanency or power in and of themselves. They simply evidence the confusion that always followed the absence of the activity of God. In the back of the evil condition, there may always be found a man frustrating his own innate goodness and acting in the darkness of human consciousness. So let me add my twist onto this. I normally like to say it this way. You know, I'm a big believer in there's only one presence and one power in the universe, God, the good, omnipotent, the everywhere, present spirit of absolute good. I completely believe that. In new thought, in many um, systems of spiritual principle, the word reality is used differently than it is used in common vernacular. Reality in new thought means that which is permanent, enduring, unchangeable, and it speaks to the eternal goodness of God. So, in other words, if it, if it's something that can be changed, if it's then it's not God, because God is absolute good. Life is, love is, power is, wisdom is, substance is. You can be in a hospital bed, but the spirit in you is perfect, whole, and complete because that's what God created. Now, when we have what we call evil. In reality, there is no evil. But in existence, yes, people express things that are consistent with a sense of separation from God. I tell my classes often that to tell me. One example of what the world would call evil, without people being involved. In other words, do the <clears throat> are tsunamis and earthquakes evil if there's no people involved? Are floods evil if there are no people involved? Are deserts with no water evil if people aren't involved? You can say, well, what about the animals? But the animals aren't naming it evil. You know. Only when people either are involved or affected do we call things good, bad, or evil. That's our labeling of a thing based upon the human experience. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just simply saying that what we call evil, you know, normally shows up as a byproduct of human thinking or human interpretation. It's one or the other. So this, you know, what the insurance companies call acts of God, which is like, by the way, just like crazy when they call destructive acts acts of God. But just to go along with that terminology for a while, what insurance companies call acts of God uh, are things that they don't sometimes cover under because they say, well, there's no way you can get around these calamities. People are affected. Human beings are affected by those things one way or another. Whereas opposed to the things where people are, are, are um, initiating crime, you know, the, the you know, assaults and the murders and all the other type of things, those things are happening because somebody's thinking then doing them. Even if their thinking is warped, and obviously your thinking has to be warped to even engage in that type of behavior. So that means that a human being initiated that process or In the case of the quote-unquote acts of God, human beings are affected by it. But when you start talking about God is life, you can see life everywhere. When you start talking about God is divine order, you can see the order in in the smallest seed turning into produce or trees or whatever to why is the sun and the earth just close enough to where it keeps it warm but not too close where it burns the earth up. That's divine order. We see the examples of of love even in in the animal kingdom, without human conscious thought. We see examples of what we call the goodness of God just showing up, the intelligence, the wisdom, the power, the etc, of God showing up with no judgment on what any of that means. But when people get involved or when people are affected, that's when things start to get kind of uh, messy because of our, uh, at times, un-evolved thinking. So what we have to look at is how we created systems that require us to… Feel as I don't want to say this. To to, we we created systems sometimes within the structure of what we call religion to help us release the judgments and the criticisms and the meanings that we have put on things. And one of the ways we do that is by seeking forgiveness of the supernatural being that we proclaim is our God. Now, I'm not, of course, I believe in God. Give my point. What I'm saying is this. When we have the guilt, the frustration, the fears, uh, or whatever else goes along with the sense of separation, how do we heal it? We have named this mental process of giving up the, the, the lesser for the greater, this mental process of letting go and releasing these thoughts and beliefs and feelings that don't serve any good purpose in our life, we have named this process forgiveness. And we've attached rules to it that necessarily don't have anything to do with God because God is just love. We think that when, and and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I just have to go with it, We think that when we turn our attention back to the presence and power of God active in our lives, that God has shifted or God has changed or God has forgiven. And in reality, what has actually happened is we shifted, we changed, and we allowed the love of God, which has always been there, to just love us. And then we get the release. We feel the wholeness. We feel redeemed. We feel saved. Or whatever term you want to use. But what really happened was your mind allowed God just to be God in your experience. But we put rules and religion and structure around a process that has nothing to do with rules, religion and structure. God just is. God is just love. God is just peace. God is just divine order all the time. It has nothing to do with uh, being dunked, sprinkled, uh, prayed on, not prayed on, uh, going to some mountain, dipping yourself in whatever. You know, we got all these religious rules depending on the religion. What's really actually happening is what's going on in your mind. What's going on, and that, I'm not talking about surface thinking. I'm talking about mind as entire mind as representing the soul or co- entire consciousness. What's really going on in your consciousness is what matters. Mind action. So when we feel guilt, we need people have a tendency to want to scapegoat it on something else which we'll get into shortly um, because we're coming up on our first break. Um, I do want to remind you before we go to our first break, though, that this show is supported by your love offerings, along with all the other uh, shows on Unity Online Radio. So as you have freely received, please freely give. Click on the Donate button and support Unity Online Radio. The other thing is that this show has a Facebook page and you can contact me or just, you know, I post different things throughout the week. Um, go on If you're on Facebook, please go on, look up Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Like it. Share it. Let people know. We're doing some good things on Unity Online Radio. Let the world know about it. We're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms.
2: If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you'll give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the love offerings of listeners to continue operating and expand its outreach. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. In jest, there is truth. Shakespeare made the line famous. And at Holy Rascals, we've taken it to heart. Join us at HolyRascals.com, a spiritual education resource and community of spiritual boundary crossers who are on a truth-seeking journey that doesn't shy away from humor and frank conversations. HolyRascals.com offers cutting-edge webinars, short online videos, and podcasts. Our featured teachers are inclusive, radical, and often funny people who embrace the common heart of all religions. Find us on Facebook or check out our upcoming programs at www.HolyRascals.com.
3: Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell.
4: Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and we are in the midst of the book, Discover the Power Within You. I'm teaching Chapter 12, How God Forgives. Let's go to page uh, 149. What did Jesus teach? The implication that runs all through the gospel is you're not punished so much for your sins as by them. Sin is its own punishment and righteousness and righteousness is its own reward. Sin is a missing of the mark or the failure to achieve the goal of perfection. Now, I wrestle with the word perfection because I think the word perfection is so relative. I realize we throw that word around a lot in um religious circles. But I would say I would use a different word. I would use the goal of wholeness or 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 being complete because wholeness you can understand. Being complete you can understand. Perfection is relative. It's it's a judgment. So, I'm just using that just just pointing that out that at times The words we use sometimes can be our own worst enemy. Uh, Anyway, the result is a kind of separation from God. Again, it's a sense from good, from harmony, from justice. And the punishment is that we have cut ourselves off from the source. Now, I don't agree with that. I think when it says cut yourself off from the source, you can't be cut off in the sense of literal cut off. But you can lack awareness of your source which is the same as being cut off. And I, can, I know I'm splitting hairs here, but I wanna make sure that you understand that you can never be cut off from your source because you can't be cut off from God. Yet again, you can't separate water from wet. But what you can do is have lack of an awareness of your source and therefore live as if the source didn't exist. In other words, just because you're the image and likeness of God doesn't mean you won't have health challenges or financial issues or in harmony with work or family or significant other or whatever. Those things can happen. Why? Because we forget who we are. And when we forget who we are, we have the experiences of what we call the suffering of that awareness or lack of awareness of who we are. All right. Okay, bottom of page 149, he says that sin is cutting ourselves off from the activity of God, and the punishment is the deterioration that always follows such separation. If I were to fix a rubber band tightly around my finger, in a few minutes the finger would redden and swell and then turn blue from the lack of circulation. Before long, it would reach a danger point, and serious deterioration would soon follow unless I released the band. What has happened here? I have stopped the flow of circulation with the rubber band, which cuts off the finger and the cells of the finger from the life sustaining forces that flow in the bloodstream. However, the reddened finger is not caused by the wrath of the life force in the body. It is simply the evidence of the absence of that force. And the life force in the body won't hold anything against the finger because there is no flow. The moment I restore the flow by removing the band, Forgiveness is instantaneous. Life flows into the finger and in a few minutes, circulation is normal. So then he goes right into this concept of how new thought and Jesus taught forgiveness. He says Habakkuk refers to God as thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil. This may surprise you, even disturb you. but it is vital that you get this point in your consciousness and never forget it. God knows nothing of sin, nothing of want, nothing of lack of any kind. Now, I'm just going to stop right here because the amount of evidence that comes across in in the biblical narratives state that, you know, God was always watching for sin, always looking for the mistakes, people are always repenting, etc. Cetera, et cetera, And the biblical narratives or the biblical writers, first of all, writing in their own understanding, their own context, their own paradigm, their own worldview. And they used human language to explain their understanding of God. They use human language to try to teach principle and universal law. So the principle of mathematics doesn't know anything about errors in mathematics. What? Uh, just stay with me. If the principle of mathematics was a person or had personality or intelligence outside of itself, the principle of mathematics does not know about your error. You can write 2 plus 2 equals 5 on the board or on a sheet of paper, or type it on your your computer or your smartphone or tablet. Everybody, all seven billion people on the planet could do it at the same time. And the principle of mathematics would not know anything about anybody incorrectly applying the principle of mathematics by writing two plus two equals five, because mathematics quote-unquote, knows that two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals four across the board because that is the principle or the proper application of the principle. Now, let's take a look at that from the standpoint of God. God is the principle of absolute good. God is wholeness. God is complete. Therefore, God as principle, see, here's where it's tricky, and this is where the paradox comes into play, that I more than willingly admit is there. God as the divine principle of the universe has no concept of what we call sin, lack, sickness, etc. That's why we can be healed. That's why we can be prospered. That's why we can have peace. Because the only thing we're doing is realigning ourselves with the truth that already is. And the body and our life role in affairs can reflect the wholeness that the mind grasps that's already in truth. Therefore, when the mind that's been thinking 2 plus 2 equals 5 gets back into alignment with 2 plus 2 equals 4, then it can properly get the results out of the principle of mathematics that were designed by the principle. In other words, you'll get the results you want. When we think in alignment with the divine principle of absolute good that we call God... We get the results we desire because it's based upon principle. It doesn't make a difference if you go to the moon. The principles of music are the same. A C note is a C note everywhere. You leave this galaxy, meaning the Milky Way galaxy, not just the solar system. You leave this galaxy. A C note is a C note the principles of mathematics, the principles of music don't change ever. Therefore, we're saying the divine principles or divine laws of God don't change. The essential character or nature of God doesn't change. The attributes of God do not change, but I'm misuse of the principles that govern the universe can get us a 2 plus 2 equals 5 experience instead of a 2 plus 2 equals 4 experience. I hope that comes across. It's about us. It's not about, okay, well, the Bible said, da 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 da. And look, and I'm a minister and I'm a Bible teacher, but let me just be, be clear. You don't have to think like a first century Jew to be a Christian today. Their understanding of life was their understanding of life. But if you don't evolve, if you don't think again, if you don't reevaluate what you're actually working with and working through, then you will think that because it's older, is better. And that somehow these people had a greater understanding of God and life than we do. That's nonsense. the thought is supposed to evolve but if we don't evolve then how can we legitimately here's the key how can we legitimately go forward see we can't all, we can't just look to the past for answers we have to be the answer for the for the moment that we're in we have to reevaluate everything we believe about god We have to reevaluate everything we believe about the universe. We have to reevaluate everything we think about ourselves. We have to reevaluate everything we think about our fellow humanity. Because if we don't, then we're relying on somebody else's insight, which many times were great. But you can't live off of yesterday's manner. When Moses had the Hebrew people in the wilderness and they were hungry and And Moses, working the divine principle of supply, at the manna supply the people daily. He told them that you can't eat it yesterday's manna. You have to eat it fresh daily, except for the Sabbath when it would last two days. But every other day, you would have to get it daily. You couldn't store up manna. And you can't store up somebody else's revelation and think that you can live on it. You have to grow your own consciousness. You have to develop your own understanding. Just like nobody can understand balance for you, nobody can walk for you, nobody can learn to ride a bike for you. You have to get this God thing for yourself. And the way you get this God thing for yourself is to actually do the inner work. So, all of this putting. Putting more importance on the on on what Paul said than what God is saying in your soul is nonsense. Okay, well, God told Elijah this. Great. What is God telling you now? What's possible for you now? What can you do now? What type of life you want to live now? How can you release, let go, and let God now? How can you let go of your sense of separation now? And maybe by studying them, we can learn some clues about how we work within ourselves. But that still puts the the attention on ourselves and our own soul growth instead of making it about somebody else's revelation. So back to the book. The book goes on to say the tragedy on page 150, the tragedy would be if God did no sin. If God knew sin, he would be a sinner for what mind knows it must be. Now, here's where the paradox is. God as principle doesn't know anything about sin. But we, but at the same time, God is wisdom, individualized as you. So God as wisdom, God as principle knows no sin. God as wisdom can guide you through what you call your errors and mistakes. But I know you just said, well, God doesn't know anything about them. Right. But God as wisdom and intelligence, individualized as you, can can deal with your individual life experiences it's the paradox it's love and law it's the paradox so, you see the moment you try to box God in then there's another part we gotta add on so the omniscience of God expressing through us individually can tell us go left instead of right don't go with that person do go with that person don't trust this person uh, you can trust these people. This is where you need to be working. This is your next step. This is the vision. This is the plan, et cetera, individually. But God, his divine principle, doesn't know anything about problems. No more than the law of mathematics uh, knows about two plus two equals five or the law of uh, the principles of music, knowing that somebody's singing off key.
2: All right. Back to the book. Next paragraph.
4: Uh, Let me just go over page 151 so I can jump right to this. How does God forgive? Our answer may seem startling, possibly even sacrilegious. God doesn't really forgive sin. Or let us take a step further. God cannot forgive sin no matter what the offense, no matter how great the guilt, no matter how much we may plead with him for forgiveness. How can I get the forgiveness of electricity for disrupting the flow? How can I get the life force in my body to forgive me for shutting off its flow with the rubber band by releasing the rubber band by turning on the switch and no one could do it for me. I must remove the band and turn the switch and the force that surges through the finger and the switch. Is it forgiving me in a way you can say that it is but all it but all it is really doing is being what it is. Life can never be less than life Mm. and electricity can never be less than electricity and God can never be less than God. God is love even when I'm filled with hatred. God is love as the potential in me even though I am angry and bitter. The moment I release my bitterness, rise above my guilt, stop feeling sorry for myself, in that moment, God is love sweeps through me and loves me. But that is what it has always been. I just haven't accepted it. Thus, in a very real sense. God doesn't forgive. God is love. God hasn't held any unforgiveness. There's nothing to forgive in his sight, for his eyes are too pure to behold iniquity. When the prodigal son wanted to come home, he said, I will arise and go to my father. Now, this obviously deals directly with the concept that most Christians believe about Jesus dying for our sins see because we believe that humanity is guilty and and it's such a horrible state that the innocent has to be had to be murdered for our redemption that's really what people believe when they say that Jesus died for your sins. They believe that humanity is so decrepit, so horrible, so stuck and immersed in evil ways and sin that the only way to redeem humanity was for the for God as the Son to incarnate as a human being and then die to appease Himself. So instead of just I forgive you, God has to incarnate as the god the son and then maybe be be a, a basically pay to himself for the sins of humanity it really makes you think so we're coming up on our last break um, I do want to give you an opportunity to call me you can call at 888-558-6489 888-558-6489 we're going to take our last break, and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms.
1: Wellness expert, Dr. Michelle Robin, unhealthy living.
0: In the game of wellness, there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a
1: well life. In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's Seven Habits for a Healthy Life. I've
4: got to say, my body just embraced the change. Besides feeling better, looking better,
1: thinking more clearly, Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results.
4: You can make this change by being convicted that you will do it, that you don't need anyone else's assistance
1: or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order Wellness on a Shoestring today at www.shopunity.org.
3: Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week You've been listening to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. If you have questions or comments about today's program, or if you'd like to join in on the discussion, email us at truthtransforms Now back to
4: Truth Transforms. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. We are on page 153 of the book Discover the Power Within You by Eric Butterworth. And we're teaching how God forgives. And it says, for if you have forgiven men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, again, this is having people think, oh, my gosh, this contradicts what you just said. But again, uh, teachers have to use human language to explain divine principle. So Eric Butterworth explains this very well. He said this is not saying that God is arbitrary. Trary, and that he won't take the first step. But this must show you that, but, uh, but that you must show your sincerity by acting, and then he will act. This is simply a personalized way of talking about principle. It is difficult to understand the action of principle unless we relate it to things in which we can identify. This is why God is clothed in human form in the teachings of the prophets and of Jesus, and it is why we have gotten trapped in the concept of a God of the skies. God is love. He can only love when you love. If you want forgiveness, you must express forgiveness. There's no other way. So if we understand forgiveness is the process of letting go of the lesser for the greater, the process of letting go of those thoughts and beliefs and concepts that block our own good, block our own blessings, block our own breakthroughs. If we understand that, that when we release others, we release ourselves. And now, now, last week, we talked about the law of compensation, and you know thoughts held in mind produce after their own kind, so the grace that you want give others the opportunity that you want give others see many times what this what Jesus is teaching us is a very basic, simple principle we want to many times slam others, but we want people to give us a pass or or hey. Forgive me for my mistakes, but you don't forgive others for theirs. Now, we're talking about at the human level. See, but, you know, when we start talking about divine law, as the Hindu people would say, karma or karmically, you are working with divine law. Therefore, what you hold on to others, things are held on to you. See, because you can only be free when, when you free others. See, because the thoughts that you hold about someone else, bind you and the thoughts that somebody holds about you binds them so when you want to be free part of being free is not only praying for your release but for anybody that 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 is holding on to you for anything that you feel as though they feel as though is is harming the uh or whatever justifiable reasons they think they should be holding things against you so maybe the the breakthrough that you need With someone else, as far as forgiveness is concerned, in other words, um, you can't get over the hump with them might have to do with some people you haven't forgiven. You're thinking talking about why this person keeps holding this against you and why they won't let you off the hook and all that other stuff. And in all actuality, you're doing the same thing to someone else. I don't know. Jesus said it best. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some translate that as forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. All right. Goes back to the book. Uh, he said, Jesus says, Whensoever ye you stand praying, forgive if ye have any ought against anyone that your father who is also in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty five. The fact is, anytime you feel a sense of guilt, a sense of unforgiveness, that unclean feeling in which you would like God to create a clean heart with, within you, if you take a good look at yourself, the chances are that you will find there is much you can do today by getting a new attitude toward the people around you. You can express more love, more understanding, and in this way, you release the positive power of the spirit that can cleanse you. But it is a result of what you have done. God can do no more for you than he can do through you. Why? Because you can say no to your own blessings. Again, the book goes on to say, Peter once said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, seven in the Hebrew is uh, the Hebrew number for completion. So by saying seven times, that was a lot. That was a complete number. In other words, he is saying. You just can't go on forgiving people. How much can a man take? Jesus replied, I say unto thee until seven. I say not unto thee seven times, but until 70 times seven. He wasn't concerned with the arithmetic here. He was indicating infinity. Forgiveness must be perpetual, a state of consciousness and not just an occasional gesture. Why? Because unforgiveness is the price that man cannot afford to pay. Forgive until 70 times 7. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Love your enemies, not for their sake, but for your own. Now, this is a real important point, that when we are praying and releasing, part of the forgiveness is really releasing and, and letting go of the things that happen in our past that we're allowing to interfere with our present and destroy our future because we we we're holding on to the past which means we're not clear now this is what jesus was trying to get people to see you're not clear now because of what you've been holding to so when a lot of times when people were talking with him and they needed Prayer support, he would say things like, Your sins are forgiven you. What was he doing? He was helping them release the mental bondage that they were in that was causing the matter many times of the things that they were dealing with. They couldn't see themselves as whole and complete, far as physically, because many times the things that they were dealing with mentally, emotionally. So if we release what we call the quote unquote, sin many times mentally and emotionally we can then be clear enough to deal with whatever we need to deal with properly this is really one of the ways in which the um the the christian fundamentalists and the uh and the catholics uh really get, help people transition it's a sense of relief thinking that jesus did it all for you they throw it on jesus's back For them thinking that, oh, my God, I've messed up and I've done so many mistakes, but Jesus paid the price or whatever. That's actually, uh, to a certain extent, scapegoating It's putting your error on somebody else. And for some people, that comes with a sense of release and freedom because they're putting it on the divine scapegoat. So people go talk to the priest or uh, in and. receive their penance or they talk to the preacher and the preacher lays hands on him and rebukes the devil or whatever and people feel free what's actually happening is the energies of their soul have been released they think it's the outer beliefs but what's really what's really happening is is that the mechanism for releasing that pent-up energy that is blocking the blessings gets released. It has nothing to do with theology. It's soul work. So what I'm saying is you don't need to have the uh the belief that 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 you're a miserable sinner or that, you know, that 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 you as a person, an individual person was so horrible that that um the innocent has to die for you and all of that type of stuff. And, you know, or whatever, wherever that thought process takes you, you can literally be in the space that God is love. And when I open myself up to the love of God, I receive the blessings of God in my experience. That's it. And then like Gerald Jampolsky, uh once wrote, in Forgiveness, the Greatest Healer of All, He, when he wrote, forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past where you can really literally just put your past in your past, not trying to romance it, not trying to make it better. Well, if I did this instead of that, or if, if my parents were different, or if my upbringing was different, or, or, or if I didn't make this mistake, if I went left instead of right, took this job, married this person instead of that person, whatever it, the different things that go on in your head, just release it. That's really what forgiveness is. Letting go all hope for a better past you don't have to you don't have to make your decisions based upon what you've been through. Forgiveness gives you the opportunity to clean your slate so you can create new choices now and live the life you deserve now. That's how God forgives. God forgives by you releasing and letting go of the stuff in your own soul. Which allows the the activity of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the peace of God, the love of God, the supply of God, the health of God to flow properly. If you consider the mind like a faucet, if you go into your bathroom or your kitchen, the water is all there, but the faucet is holding the water back. And as you turn the knob, more and more water comes out. The water is there but it has to be released. The wholeness that you seek, the peace that you seek, the prosperity that you seek, the health that you seek, the functional family and relationships, the work environment, the career, all of it is right there within you waiting to be released. The first thing you have to do is forgive. then then the ability to turn the faucet all the way up is there because nothing is blocking the pipeline.
2: Just work with that concept. It's already there. But can you believe it? It's already there within you. All right
4: we're going to end there. Next week we're going to cover Jesus's formula for healing. And obviously read the chapter before next Wednesday. And we're going to walk through it, Jesus's healing miracles. So, with that we're going to uh stop here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your own uh commitment to your self-transformation. And know that we'll continue working with the book all the way to the end of the year, until the last class of the year, or not last class, last show of the year. There and then we're going to transition into something new on on um twelve powers or spiritual gifts. So with that, God bless you and I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms.
3: Do you think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women? The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Rev. Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened.
3: This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
0: right here on unity fm the voice of an awakening world
1: from mayhem to miracle from disaster to divine Ramster to revelations radio finds the opportunities for spiritual growth in everyday moments Drawing from current headlines to pop culture, Reverend Ogan blurs the lines between the sacred and the profane, bringing meaning to the meaningless. With guests who are dedicated to transforming the world for good, join Ogan live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central for Rants to Revelations Radio.
0: I'm Dr. Mona Lisa